This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 11th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The FBI is well aware of large-scale misconduct within its agency. Now, thanks to the work of Cato, we are beginning to get a picture of the precise scale of that misconduct. Cato's Patrick Eddington has been doing a great deal of the legwork tracking down the data of the FBI's own records on that illegal activity. We spoke last week. Last year... Actually, no, actually, September of 2020. Um, it's amazing how time flies. We submitted a FOIA uh, to the Federal Bureau of Investigation looking for uh, documents indicating how they had violated and specifically how many times they had violated their own internal guidelines. Those guidelines are known as the Domestic Operations and Investigation Guide, or DIOG for short. Uh, and these have been around uh, since the late 2008. And we wanted to try to get a sense uh, just exactly how many times FBI agents, let's say, spied on a political group or spied on a political candidate or spied on a church or, you know, uh, any kind of domestic civil society organization or person essentially involved in the public policy process. Uh, not shockingly, they refused. Uh, and so we took them to court. And beginning in January of this year, 2022, we began to get uh, uh, some initial productions. They told us it would be around 1,100 pages. And, and in fact, uh, as of the date of this, this particular taping, that's exactly what we have uh, in hand. We're not done yet, uh, both trying to actually get information out of them because we, we don't believe they've turned over everything. Uh, but we also expect uh, our partner at the Washington Times uh, to be utilizing some of the additional material that we have provided to them to publish at least one or two more stories over the course of the next few weeks. So, uh, but the bottom line here is a massive number of violations of their own regulations. Shocking, I know, to our listeners, uh, but they have been uh, on a scale that has uh, shocked enough people uh, that we now actually have an official uh, congressional investigation underway. What do we know followed? from these violate this is these are violations that the FBI acknowledges occurred which means that they knew a long time ago that these violations occurred what has followed from those violations of their own internal guidelines and quite possibly federal law well again it will probably come as no surprise uh to folks who are familiar with this issue um and this particular podcast that no one at the Federal Bureau of Investigation has been held accountable, apparently, for any of these violations. No one has lost their job that we're aware of, and certainly no one has been prosecuted. And I think that just kind of underscores the reason why we need to have a much more searching investigation uh, of what the Bureau uh, has done to violate people's rights here. So um, earlier this year, uh, due to the efforts uh, of myself uh, and, and Mr. Vanderslice, our head of government relations here at Cato, we were able to assist representatives Jamie Raskin of Maryland, a Democrat, and Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina, a Republican, in putting together a request to the Government Accountability Office to investigate one critical aspect uh, of FBI investigative misconduct, and that is the use of these things called assessments. And uh, this dates essentially to the late 2008 period when this particular investigative mechanism was kind of created out of whole cloth at the FBI and simply stated, an assessment is a de facto investigation that they can open without any criminal predicate whatsoever. No criminal predicate required to open an assessment. These things can be renewed indefinitely. 
They have the ability to run confidential human sources, do database searches, both of commercially available uh, things like LexisNexis and, and other things, as well as classified databases, uh, including the FISA Section 702 uh, database that, of course, has been the subject of, of so much concern over the course of the last decade or so. So we know for a fact on the basis of, of, the, of the material that we have in hand that at least 776 violations occurred in almost 400 cases that they reviewed in 2019. And when I say they reviewed, I'm talking about the FBI's own internal inspection division. So it's just in that case alone, it was radical, but we actually have even more data uh, from other audits that they conducted showing FBI agents engaged in otherwise illegal activity uh, that was not actually officially sanctioned. And for those who might be curious, how is it that the FBI can have agents engage in illegal activity? Um, this is one of those carve outs uh, that they've managed for themselves over the years. And for some of our listeners who might be familiar with another federal uh, law enforcement agency's misuse of this authority, the, the ATF, uh, it's similar to that fast and furious debacle in which they allowed guns, uh, uh, illegally modified guns, to go out of a gun dealer in order to try to basically trace them back to a Mexican cartel. So it's that kind of thing, uh, that kind of misuse of, of an illegal authority, essentially, uh, lawbreaking, essentially, to try to catch somebody else involved in breaking the law. That is also one of those massive slippery slopes that we're very, very concerned about. So those are the two big assessments that are out there, or two big in, in, internal inspection division audit reports that are out there right now. But I, I can tell you that there will be more to come. I have high hopes when this kind of information comes public that the disgust that people might feel in knowing that it's going on is enough to make it uh, an important national story, a scandal uh, worthy of asking that these agencies be reformed. But I have to ask, is there a way that one partisan side here can make a lot of hay uh, and uh, raise a big stink? Or is this a bipartisan problem, in which case my hopes have just been dashed a little bit? <laughs> well, certainly the request of the Government Accountability Office to investigate the FBI's misuse of assessments by uh, Chairman Raskin and Ranking Member Mace uh, they are on the Constitution and Civil Liberties Subcommittee of the House Oversight Committee, uh, for, just for reference purposes. Um, that is a genuinely bipartisan effort, and I think those two members are definitely very serious about it. There are some other members, unfortunately, on the Republican side um, who do at this point appear to be engaging in what I like to refer to as drive-by oversight. Um, this is where a press release is issued demanding a hearing or something like that. Uh, but it is done just by one particular member of one particular party. And we have definitely seen some of that so far. Um, so I, I think your concern is, is justified, and I think it's well-grounded. That being said, I have a lot of confidence in Mason Raskin seeing this thing through uh, on the assessment side of it. And I'm confident also that the more that we're able uh, to get additional revelations out there, and there will be more revelations and they will set people's hair on fire. I can pretty much guarantee you that. Um, we're hoping to be able to create a critical mass, essentially, of members on both sides of the aisle who are willing to kind of take this up. We know what we're up against. You know, we have a very, very competitive media environment right now and political environment right now with the, with the January 6th Select Committee doing its work, the war in Ukraine, all these other things that are going on in this country that are obviously commanding a lot of attention on the part of members in both parties. 
But as you indicated, Caleb, you know, this should absolutely be a fully bipartisan uh, issue. And, uh, you know, the FBI as a permanent bureaucracy always tries to wait out these things, right? They always, they always hope that essentially the, the, the storm will blow over uh, and they'll be able to go back to kind of doing business. And that's one of the things that we want to try to prevent happening here. How much do we know about the individual instances of uh, violations of Americans' rights by the FBI? In this particular case, what these audits have revealed, and particularly now I'm referring to the, to the 2019 audit uh, that took place uh, and that looks specifically at these things called sensitive investigative matters or SIMS. These are the investigations I mentioned at the top where they're looking at a political candidate, a political party, a group in society that is active politically, a media organization, for example. Um, we know in many cases, these investigations were opened with absolutely no authorization, you know, no supervisory special agent sign off. Uh, they just they just went and did it. They, the agents just went ahead and started these things. Um, an awful lot of this also involves, I think, in many cases, an awful lot of agents simply not understanding what the process is. Um, and not actually going through the proper procedures. But in many cases, you know, we're just simply seeing uh, investigations open that should never have been opened to begin with. Now, we're, we're still dealing with essentially what I would describe as kind of raw aggregate data, right? We don't have enough in the way of data on individual cases yet, except for those that have been uncovered by the Cato Institute and other organizations through other individual FOIA requests. So for example, we know that they monitored the activities uh, of some student groups uh, out in Oregon who were concerned about a liquid natural gas facility possibly going in uh, in the Jordan Cove area. We know that they basically conducted uh, an assessment targeting the League of Women Voters, uh, Albany, New York chapter, uh, basically trying to get them to come up with information about uh, shenanigans and potential criminal conduct in the New York State Legislature that was non-existent at the time that the assessment was open. Uh, an assessment on the Muslim Justice League up in Massachusetts, for which there is absolutely no criminal basis. So we have a lot of these anecdotes. And when you put those together with the raw aggregate data that we have, you get a very, very disturbing picture of just exactly how often these investigations get opened for no reason. And in some cases, you know, these things go on undetected. The, the violations go on undetected for years. That's what we're discovering when we look at these audits. In the uh, the Washington Post recently ran a story about police officers who were vastly more likely than other police officers to result in a large settlement uh, paid for by the city or the state uh, or some municipality. Um, in the case of those cops, we know who they are. They have names. And I wonder... Uh, to the extent that there have been broad violations of individual Americans' rights, the rights of uh, various groups of individuals um, against surveillance by the federal government, I wonder if even in a in a redacted or minimized form, we can know that there are particular individuals who have been more responsible than others for these kinds of investigations. Is that the kind of information that might be forthcoming? Well, our problem, unfortunately, in that particular circumstance is um, the uh, Freedom of Information Act uh, exemption B6, which is a the privacy-related uh, exemption, which means they can withhold the names of officers and individuals involved. Now, that can, of course, ultimately be overcome by a congressional committee uh, in terms of getting the names of those particular agents 
uh, and and forcing them to come, you know, before the Congress and actually uh, give testimony uh, or potentially face a, a criminal contempt charge if they refuse to do so. But we do know uh, in some of these cases uh, where it's very clear that one particular agent was responsible for dozens of violations. Uh, in the Denver field office, for example, there were 88 specific violations, the same kinds of violations attributed to just one person. Uh, and that's not the only example that we've seen so far you know, in the documents that we've reviewed, but the actual names of the offending individuals uh, are not there. Right. But even if it were a numerical uh, signifier of an individual, that would be that's pretty useful information. It is. Uh, and, and I think, again, one of the big problems that we've also discovered as we've looked at, at these particular uh, inspection division audits that we have is the FBI does not do a proper job of actually going back and looking at the same offices on the same issues year after year after year. So they'll do, they'll do a SIM audit and then maybe look at type one and type two assessments in one particular year. And then the next year, They'll go to maybe a separate set of offices and look at completely different things like consensual monitoring, whether they've been violating diog provisions there or the like. Um, and I think that also helps to kind of pr uh, preclude us from getting a full picture right now as to just exactly how bad these uh, these violations are, which is why we want uh, Congress, you know, to take a much deeper dive on this. You know, this GAO uh, investigation that Raskin and Mace have have secured is going to be the first of its kind since the church committee era. That's how long it's been <laughs> since we've actually had uh, any kind of congressional oversight body, whether it's the committee itself or GAO, take a look at how the FBI goes about its business from an investigative standpoint and the potential implications for the privacy and civil liberties of Americans. So we're way overdue uh, for a look at the FBI here in the same way that we're way overdue for a, a hard look at the Customs and Border Protection, the ATF, the DEA, and so on and so on. Patrick Eddington is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.